I couldn't help but notice that, uh, that, that, that we look a little bit weird when we do this, right? You know, so if, you, if you're sort of stuck in your own body and you realize that, oh man, you're putting your hand in the air um, and you basically do it because you followed a, a guy, a Jewish guy, a Jewish rabbi um, who lived and died 2,000 years ago and his followers claimed that he rose from the dead and uh, we do all sorts of weird things ever since. I mean, if you just look at our announcements there, we fix potholes in the name of this guy who, uh, who lived in, you know, presumably had a lot of potholes that he encountered in his life as well. Um, we, we, we try to help small-scale farmers. We ask you to go help tutor in, in Mamalodi, and these guys are running an amazing uh, initiative there. So you must basically sacrifice your, your Saturdays. You can come here, but you must give as well, financially, your time. And, uh, but you can, you can join our organization, but just know that our organization exists for its non-members. Okay, so, so we exist, but not for you guys, but for everybody who's not in here, all right? But you're so welcome. And it's just a very bizarre setup, as soon as you start to think about what a church is and what it is that we do. But we are not the first ones. We, we stand in a long tradition of strangeness when it comes to being a, a church. So in the, in the Bible, we often hear of a area, a province, a Roman province called Asia Minor, and it's in modern-day Turkey. So if you think of places like Ephesus, if you think of uh, the Colossians or Colossae, if you think of Galatia, uh, all these places um, were in Asia Minor, and it's in modern-day Turkey. And the people who lived there in the Roman Empire were mostly sort of pagan people from that area, but also Roman soldiers who fought for the, 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 the Caesars, and then the Caesars had to reward these military veterans, so they gave them land in a place like modern-day Turkey, in Asia Minor, because you wanted to keep them far, and, far away from, from Rome, because you don't want ex-soldiers close to your capital city. So you give them land somewhere far. So these ex-soldiers inhabited this area called Asia Minor. It was a very pagan area. They were renowned for their potent witches. All right. So if you, if you walked in, in, in those days and you saw a witch, you sort of dodged her or, or him. And, uh, and, and then it was very, very religious. You had all sorts of cults in in that area, all sorts of temples, all sorts of priests. It was a very strange, dynamic place within the, the Roman Empire. But there was one religion that was a little bit strange to these Asia Minerians. And these were called Christians. And you know what they originally labeled these Christians as? As atheists. These Christians are atheists. You know why? Because they don't believe, they don't want to bow down to our cults. They don't want to bow down to our deities. So in, in the pagan world, you sort of respect all the deities and you give something there. I mean, you have to be safe. You don't want to annoy Aphrodite. You don't want to annoy Zeus or Poseidon. So you, so you sort of play it safe. But the Christians said, no, all of these gods are fake gods. They do not exist. And that's why many people in the Roman world called Christians atheists. So that's the first thing. But these atheists believe that there's one God and all of these other gods are, are pretenders. So they were very exclusive. 
The other thing that was weird about these Christians in Asia Minor is that they had no temple. Because if you're a, if you're a religion in first century Roman Empire, you have to have a temple. Without a temple, you don't have a religion. And you have to have priests who perform sacrifices there, usually very, very weird. As a matter of fact, Asia Minor was renowned for the cult of Sybil. And basically what happened was this female deity and the men would go in a trance and then they will emasculate themselves as part of this, this trance. They would castrate themselves. So it was a very, very strange, bizarre type of setup. But these Christians, these atheists said, no, 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 we don't have a temple because we believe that Jesus was the true temple and that he poured out his spirit into us and where we are, that is where heaven and earth overlap. That is a temple. Again, it would have been very, very strange. No sacrifice, no, no bloods, bloods, no blood, no guts, no, no nothing um, of that nature. No priests. The Christian said, all believers are priests. Again, very, very strange. But they did other weird things as well. Radical generosity to the poor. The, 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 the original church was known for not, not only being generous to their own poor, but also to the poor of other religions and other cults and other groups. So a radical generosity. They were also very anti-abortion. So in the Roman Empire, we've spoken about this often, there was this practice called infanticide. And if you, if you gave birth to a baby and that baby was, was, def, was uh, deformed or often a girl, then you would just put her or him on the rubbish dump. And the church didn't like this at all, and especially in Asia Minor. That's actually where it started. There was a, a family, uh, you have Gregory and Basil of Nysa, and their sister actually started collecting all of these babies from the rubbish dumps and began an orphanage. And that's, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why the early church grew, by the way. Forget about all the miraculous stuff. They, they just raised a lot of girl babies. And eventually, it's, it's, a, it's a good church growth strategy. And, and, and that's part of the reason. And as a matter of fact, Roman apologists, Roman pagan apologists rather, they said, you can't really take this Christian church seriously. It's just a place for women and children because of how prevalent women and children were, not only in numbers, but also in leadership. They played a very important role in the, the life of the church. Um, there was another, th another thing about this Christian clan that was weird. They were very progressive sexually, very progressive, in the sense that the norm was promiscuity, the norm was all over the place, and these Christians had this weird radical idea, super progressive. They said, no, 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 monogamy is the way to go, and, and sex belongs between, uh, it must happen between a husband and a wife, you know, within marriage. It was just crazy, you know, it was really progressive for the, uh, for, for the time. What else? They were pacifists. Early church, very much against, against war, and they weren't that keen to fight on behalf of, of Caesar in the campaigns for, for Rome. Uh, for the Roman Empire, and they claimed that they followed Jesus, and that this Jesus 
um, you know, it's very difficult to reconcile his teachings to, 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 to just random wars. So they were labeled pacifists. And they were very much against the gladiatorial games, right? So the, this killing for entertainment, the Christians did not support it. So can you see how all these things that were sort of very, very common in the Roman Empire was considered taboo in, in the life of a Christian? So... So, so they were considered peculiar. Now, you can imagine as well that these pagans living in Asia Minor, that they were not impressed, especially because they were mostly ex-soldiers. And here you have these pacifists against the gladiatorial games. What's wrong with you? you know, it's a little bit like somebody uh, not caring about the fact that the Springboks lo- won yesterday. Um, it's, 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 it's a little bit like, you know, what, what, you're, a, you're a pacifist, you're against, you're against the gladiatorial game, what's, what's, what's wrong with you? You don't support the Springboks, what's wrong with you? And they've got these strange beliefs, they are considered fundamentalists, they are considered disloyal, and they were persecuted. On top of all of this, they were pagans just a few days ago. They were normal pagans just a couple of months ago, now they became Christians, and now you're acting all weird. So a lot of persecution uh, went the way of this newly formed church in, in Asia Minor. And there's a guy called Peter. He was a follower of Jesus. And, and he writes a church. He writes a church. He writes a letter to this, to this church as encouragement because of the, the suffering and the persecution that they endure. And it comes, uh, we, we now go to that letter. It's the first letter um, from Peter. And in, in chapter 2, from verse 4, we read the following. This is First Peter, chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For... For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe this stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and the stone that causes men to stumble, and the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in this world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I want to skip and just also read verse 15 that says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorance of foolish men. And then also verse uh, verse 21 that says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree 
so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So this is just a short extract from this letter that Paul writes to this community who is being persecuted in in Asia Minor. And Peter affirms this strange theology that they have, the story, uh, the, the language of living stones being built into a spiritual house, being a royal and holy priesthood. Did you hear those, those, those terms? And it's very strange, but for, for us to understand it, and we're not going to do it justice at all, it will help to just have a very brief and incomplete history of God's presence in the Bible. So you may or may not know that God dwelt with mankind in the garden, and he was, he was fully present with, with mankind, and it was glorious in that space. But then, because of sin, we couldn't stand God's glory anymore. We couldn't stand his presence, and we start to hide. We start to run away from God. And the rest of the Genesis narrative is just us running further. It, 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 the Bible has a very subtle way of saying it, but, and they went east of Eden which is another way of saying just going further and further away from the presence of God. But God didn't give up on mankind, and he starts over, and he says, I know that you guys cannot stand my presence anymore. That's why immediately after sin came into the world, what does Adam and Eve do? They hide. So what happens next? God says, okay, I'm going to systematically reveal myself, make sure that my presence, that that, that mankind and my presence can coexist. So... It starts small with the tabernacle in the desert, and later there's this this temple that Solomon built, and we read that that is where God uh, God's presence would be on the uh, in in the Shekinah. That's where His Shekinah glory in the Holy of Holies. That's where His Shekinah glory would rest. And to this day, it is even the, even though the temple does not stand is not, is not there anymore. Just the temple foundation is the holiest site in all of all of Judaism, because that is where God, that's Mount Zion, that's where God's presence was and perhaps still is. But despite this, despite this tabernacle and temple theology that happened, the Old Testament prophets saw something in the future, and they couldn't quite describe it, but they said, one day God is going to do something big. When Israel's God is going to come back, he's going to relate to us in a different way. We, we, we're not just going to go to the temple because in those days, if you wanted to speak to, to God, if you wanted your sins to be forgiven, where did you go? You went to the temple. But, God, but, but the, the prophets say, no, no, no. One day God is going to pour out his spirit on everyone and everyone will be holy all of a sudden. So you have these, these flashes of this prophecy all over the Old Testament. And eventually, when Jesus comes on the scene, he acts as a prophet again when he talks to the, the Samaritan lady at the well. Do you guys remember that dialogue? And at one stage, um, she says, look, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, and I'm not quite sure what's, what's going on now, but what I do know is that you guys worship at your temple and we worship at our temple. And then he says, my dear, well, that's my translation, one day we will all worship in truth and spirit. The day is coming when your temple and my temple and that kind of language will have reached its purpose and will be insignificant. But we don't have a clear depiction of what it looks like. We just have these, these rumors that one day God is going to do something big. And what happens? Jesus not only 
says that this, this, this is going to happen. He eventually says that the temple that exists has become redundant. It will be destroyed. And he claims that his body is the temple, as, as abstract as that sounds. And then eventually, he pours out his spirit. And here's the remarkable claim. I'm no, I know I'm not emphasizing this. I know I'm not double-clicking on any of this. But the remarkable claim is this, that where believers are, where baptized people are, that is where God's spirit is. It's a remarkable claim. We take it for granted. But imagine somebody in the Old Testament hearing that. What? Where, where believers are, where, where they are, that's where God is? It would have been staggering, that kind of claim. And now Peter is using this language. He's saying, you guys are living stones. He says, you guys are a royal priesthood. How bizarre is that? If you are, it's the priesthood of all believers. You don't have to be sort of one sort of fancy Christian, you know, to try and climb the ranks in terms of, you know, hierarchy of, of who's holy. The priesthood of all believers. Again, this would have been baffling to one, the pagan mind, and also the Jewish mind. But this is indeed what happened. And this is amazing, but it's also a little bit dangerous because it's been misunderstood. How? We often get stuck there and we think Jesus came to destroy religion, he came to destroy the temple, and we all have access to him, we are all, we are a, a royal priesthood, so we, we, we don't need organized religion anymore. You've heard various manifestations of that line, right? And it misses the point. It's half true, but a half truth that becomes a whole truth becomes false. So, so what's the problem? Yes, it's true that, that, it's, that it says that our bodies is a, 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 are temples of the Holy Spirit. But it's only in 1 Corinthians 6 that that is used in the singular. And it is to make a very specific point. So only in 1 Corinthians 6 is it used in, 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 in the singular. The rest, of, uh, the, the rest of scripture, it's used in the plural. It's used as a collective. So what, what, what do you think is the meaning of that? It means that we are only a holy temple in as much as you are a living stone and relate to other stones. Okay, I, I know that sounds abstract. I'll try again. We struggle, nay, it's impossible for us to be a temple and follow Jesus, for Christ to dwell in me, it doesn't work in the singular. It seems throughout the New Testament that it is something that we do collectively. That is why all through scripture, the language is also, we are a temple, not I am a temple. There's 1 Corinthians 6, and I think it's about a specific context. Whether you agree with me or not, the emphasis is at least always on we are a temple rather than I am a temple. And this is important, friends, because we've got a radical, radical individualism. It's true for, for, for most people living today. It's especially true for the whiteies in the room, but it's it's, it's true for most people. I think if you live in our society, that kind of individualism is, is, is something that you encounter. 
And that language we support of, yeah, 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 God is, uh, I'm against organized church or against organized religion. I don't think anybody can accuse us that our church is organized. But <laughs> the, the point is that, that we, we often encounter people who claim that, you know what, I, I follow Jesus by myself and, uh, and that's what I do. But I want to say that that is not a New Testament category. To follow Jesus by yourself is not a New Testament category. It doesn't exist. This lone wolf Christianity doesn't exist. To be a Christian is to be in community. And uh, let me just clarify something. To be a Christian does not mean that you have to be in church because you can be in church and not be in community. It's very easy. It's a little bit more difficult to disappear in a small church like this, but it's also possible to sort of just go through the motions and not be in community. But to be a follower of Jesus is to be a living stone, and that is such a wonderful image. Just think about it. If you're a living stone and, you, and there's this building, this spiritual building that is being built, and you are a part of it, then you are dependent on the stones, on the bricks below you. And there are many bricks on top of you that's very dependent on you. If you take one out, the integrity, I, I mean, I don't know anything about uh, math and engineering and, and bricks and stuff, but, <laughs> but I, I think it's important that all your bricks remain in the wall, okay? If you, if you take one out or maybe two or three, the integrity of the building starts to, to disappear. So here's something that I want to challenge us with. Are you so invested in your community? Some of you guys are visitors, some of you guys are, are here. Are you so invest, invested in your community that if you are removed from that community, it will collapse? That is... A massive question, and I, and I don't mean that in a, uh, you know, to, to try and ensure, I don't mean it in a negative way. I mean that there will be a relational breakdown, there would be something missing if you are removed from your spiritual community. Let's put it diff in a different way. Are you invested in, in this community or wave, wherever you are, that there are people that you depend on? And there are people that depend on you. Is that how you relate to your community? If not, it's something to ponder. It is, it is not the New Testament idea of, of what a church is supposed to be. We are called to be built on and also to build on other believers, to be built on other living stones. Let's Let's just look at it from a somewhat more practical uh, perspective. There are people here that can be reached by you, spiritually, relationally, however, in a way that I cannot reach them. There's a way that I relate to God and to other people that inhibits someone else from really responding to the way I think or talk or pray or whatever. Which, I mean, it sucks because I'm the preacher mostly, but the, 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 the point is this, that you have 
suffered in a particular way. You've experienced some sort of suffering. Maybe rejection. Maybe death. Maybe financial uh, breakdown. Whatever that is. And there's growth that happens through these sufferings. And there's somebody else that is going through something similar and I cannot relate to them in the way that you can relate to them. So you are a stone that, that, that fits in into wherever your community is, but I'm going to preach as if it's this community, in a way that only you can, can really help that person. And only you can really be helped by somebody else. And when you, when you remove yourself from community, you are depriving us of that. Of, of that job, of that calling, when you withhold yourself from, from community. Maybe the same thing, but, but, but in a slightly different, uh, uh, from a slightly different angle. I'm not sure if you guys have friends, or not sure if you guys have friends, <laughs> but I'm not sure if you have uh, somebody specific in your life, and and when that person is with somebody else, something comes out of that person. They become more humorous, or if that person is in the presence, they are more spiritual. That person really gets them to talk about God and life and philosophy and whatever. Or adventure. Whenever that person is with, with, with that person, they're going to do something stupid. But you can see that there's, there's excitement in the air. Do you guys relate to that? So in other words, and and you know what's nice? The nice thing is that if I just hang out with my friend and I just have him to myself, then I never get to see those other dimensions of this friend because there are certain things that I cannot draw out of Gior. Only Hanyu can draw that out of Gior. But for me to see that in Gior, I have to share him with Hanyu. As, As weird as that sounds. You, you see things in your spouse that you do not see just by yourself, just by hanging out with your, your spouse. I mean, it's nice, do that every now and then, you know, candlelit dinners and, and quality time and whatever, but eventually you have to spend time with him or her in a community and there will be different things that will come out as they respond to other people and you will see more of that person. Do you guys agree with that? If that is true for us as friends, don't you think it is true for how we relate to God? In other words, there are people here that will illuminate, that will show me something about God that I cannot see by myself. Maybe you're the mystic type. You are contemplative. You... Uh, you, you are prayerful, and I, I struggle to sit down for, for, for you know, five minutes, and I, I struggle to, to get myself there. But you can show me something of God, of Jesus Christ, that I cannot access by myself. Today, we've seen people who are very strong at serving, and they, they really feel God's calling to serve in the, in the community of Mamalodi. And we've heard wonderful stories. Maybe, maybe serving, maybe the social justice stuff is not something that comes naturally to you. But in proximity to them, it's going to nudge you 
to see God's love for these students who need tutoring, right? Maybe you wouldn't see that by yourself, but in proximity to them, you will see God's love. By withholding yourself from community, you are depriving us from getting the complete picture of God. I mean, it sounds intense, but I think, I think it is. So you must come and give, and, and you must support the stones above you, and you must be supported by the stones below you. But there's another point that Peter makes in this letter. In verse 11, he says this strange thing. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against you. Um, what is this thing? Uh, you, you, you ought to be, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Some of you guys are weird like that and, and you like that analogy. Um, but when you, when you look at the, the, the word used for, for alien, it actually means resident alien. I want you guys to be resident aliens, okay? Or another way, I want you to be resident foreigners. <laughs> does it sound strange? It does, right? But that is how the church is supposed to relate to the world. And that's, that's why the people in Asia Minor looked at these Christians and thought, you guys are strange. You are bizarre. On the one hand, you are from a completely other place. You don't, you don't give... Um, you, you don't allow your natural sexual desires to lord it over you. That's perfectly natural. I mean, we, we've heard the language, right? It's so natural. Why is it bad if it's so natural? I'm not sure why I put it in that, say it with that, that um, accent. <laughs> but that's the one thing. But on the other hand, these Christians are, are invested in the poor, invested in their communities. They are good for their cities. They love the, the cities and, they, and they, they try to ensure that it flourishes. So it's strange, they don't quite fit, they are peculiar, they are resident aliens. Here's the thing, friends, another thing that we are called to as a church is to be both alien and present at the same time. But it's very difficult because it's much easier to just be completely alien and just be completely at home. Let me explain to you. If you are completely present, then you assimilate to the culture around you. And it's easier. You don't, you say all the politically correct stuff, you toe the line, and the cultural elites will clap their hands and say, oh wow, you know, that we need more people like you. You guys are such a wonderful progressive church. It's, it's, it's wonderful. You assimilate, you're part of the culture, you're not going to get any persecution. You're not going to suffer. Remember, the, this letter of First Peter is, 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 is primarily trying to encourage people who are experiencing suffering. So you will not suffer if you assimilate. You will just sort of float with the culture. Do you guys agree with me? It's an easy way to avoid suffering. You know what's another way to avoid suffering? Just be completely alien. Be a resistance fighter. But you know what happens when you're a resistance fighter? is that you just start a massive group of your own, and it's very safe there with your ideology and with your team, and you've, you've got this wonderful us against them type of mentality, and there are a lot of us, and there are a lot of them, and I feel safe in the us. Does that make sense? And you've got a lot of movements in South Africa, in all over the world, where people feel very safe because they attack the mainstream, and they have a little home there. As Christians, we are called 
to not be home in either of those two places. So let me just give you an example. Christianity has very conservative ideas when it comes to sex and family values, right? We are, it, 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 and, and, and I know that many of us do not live up to that and God's grace is bigger than, than, than those demands, yes. But they are, there's a very conservative demand when it comes to our bodies. Now that would fit in with sort of modern day conservatism, right? Okay. But then we've got this radical commitment to the poor. But that, that smells very liberal in today's terms, doesn't it? Very conservative with, with your body, but liberal with your money. That's weird. You know, stingy with your money and selfish with your body. We, in, in our society, we're, we're, we're very promiscuous with our body and selfish with our money, right? What about a commitment to life? The, if, if, if you are anti-abortion today, at least in the US, you are sort of considered part of the conservative right. But then you are also very skeptical towards war. You're a pacifist. What does that sound like? Sort of more left-leaning hippie stuff, right? Um, what about committed to racial justice? Sounds liberal. But then again, also, you can move and say it becomes dangerous when it turns into an ideology that is, that is, that is not helpful and taking it away from its original uh, ideas, and that would maybe sound conservative again. Do you see how, on the one hand, you are liberal, you are maybe in that sense resident, mainstream, maybe climate change can be that as well. I, don't, I definitely do not want to talk to you guys about that, but, um, but you... You can accept that, even though that's, that's mainstream or whatever. And then on the other hand, you reject many of the things that's mainstream. But here's the problem. You're not going to fit in either, and you're probably going to get stones from both sides. These guys are going to hate you, and these guys are not going to like you. So either way, it sucks for you. <laughs> you will be persecuted. It's much easier to just be in the progressive mainstream. It's much easier to just be in the in a comfortable, big organization that's opposing the mainstream. But Jesus calls us to navigate life in between. In verse 12, he says this. He says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So, we are called to be consistent, consistently follow Jesus, and that might mean that we will find stones or insults hurled in our directions, in our direction, but we do this without compromising. And when we do that, we silence our detractors. Now, this is difficult, and it was infinitely more difficult for Peter's original audience, all right? But I think we can, we, we can admit that it is difficult if we want to follow Jesus today. Think about it. To be community-orientated, in a very individualistic culture. It's gonna take something. It's gonna cost you something to, because part of community is that when a member of your community is without petrol, you know, somewhere on the R21, part of community is that you, you know, get up at uh, two in the morning and, and, and help them and then ask questions why they're driving there at two in the morning. But, but that's part of being in a, in a community. It's gonna cost you something to, Tutor in Mamalodi on a Saturday. It's going to cost you something. You, you're probably going to watch your series or you're going to be at a party or I don't know, but it's going to cost you something. Especially on the 23rd. Don't make other plans. 
To be generous, it's going to cost you something, literally. It's going to cost you something. You know, you have to give. How much? Well, the church is, is crazy. It says till it hurts. There must be something that, that you want to buy, that you want to have, but you cannot do it because you're giving away. How's that for a good criteria? I'm not going to tell you how much. I'm just going to say that there's something that you want and you cannot have it because you're giving money away. That's a good criteria. And that sucks a little bit. You have to be nuanced and flexible in a very polarized culture where it's very easy to just fall in, in one of these categories. No, you have to be nuanced and flexible. Move in between. That's uncomfortable. You have to be gracious and forgiving in a call-out and cancel culture. It's much easier to just call people out and sort of be safe on this side. No, 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 you have to be gracious and forgiving. You have to be conservative with your body in a, uh, in, in a, in a culture of sexual freedom. All of these things will cost us something. And you know what? We won't be able to do it. And that is why we need community. We need to do this in community. That's the one reason. The other one is we can only do this if we follow the crucified Messiah. And this is what verse 21 says. So when Peter wants to encourage his people, he says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So why do we do these things? Because we follow the rabbi. We follow Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, we do it in community. You know what? This is maybe, this is just for free. You guys don't even have to pay extra for this. But when Jesus was the ultimate resident alien, you know why? This is one line, I think it's in Mark, where the Herodians and the Pharisees conspired together to kill him. And if you know anything about first century politics, that would have been absurd that these two guys are conspiring. Because the Herodians, they were in bed with Rome. They were the collaborators. They were far left. And the Pharisees were right-wing, far right. And these guys are conspiring together to get rid of Jesus. He's the ultimate resident alien. And he was rejected. But how does Peter understand that rejection? I'm going to close with this. He says, he is the cornerstone the builders rejected. Now again, I know nothing about building, all right? Nobody can accuse me of masonry. But, but there's this term, I think, that you put a cornerstone there, and this is at least how I think they built in the ancient world, and the rest of the building, all the other bricks, have to align with this cornerstone. That's the only way that the building remains intact. All right? So if you want to be a living stone, how do you, and you want this spiritual house to stand, how do you ensure that you remain intact? You have to align yourself to the cornerstone. For Peter, that is Jesus Christ. We have to align ourselves to the cornerstone as individuals, but as a community. That cornerstone started a movement. It's called the church. And I know it sucks, but it's the only movement Jesus started. And, and we get to carry on in this wonderful tradition of the past. I mentioned William Wilberforce. I mean, you can just go on. The Martin Luther King Juniors and so many others changed the world. 
So friends, you cannot do this alone. I know you think that, but yeah, that because of God's grace, we all have access to him. To follow Jesus individually is not a New Testament category. You must follow him in community. And I say this to, to everyone, but maybe, maybe you, you, you have a sort of a podcast Christianity, and for some unfortunate reason you listen to our podcast, then I would say that it's wonderful. I also steal from many other churches and listen to their podcast and whatever, but you have to be rooted in a community. There's no way around it. We are called to be strange. Don't feel like you need to be a rebel on everything, but, don't feel that you, but you cannot assimilate on everything. You have to find that little way where, where people will look at you and say, you're weird. You act like this, but then you do this, but then you do that. You, you, you do not fit in a box. It's because I follow Jesus. Embrace the strangeness. And then you need to be built into a community in such a way that you are dependent on other people. Don't just come. It can also be dangerous if you just come and give here and you do not receive. I'm serious. Because then you're the Messiah. You're the hero. Everybody's dependent on you. No, 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 no. You must also rest on other stones. You need to do both. And you need to align yourself, and we need to align ourselves to Jesus, the cornerstone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the cornerstone that was rejected by the builders, rejected by, by everyone from all sides. And yet, you are the one, Lord, that is the foundation of this this great movement that we call the church. And for some reason, Lord, you've decided to use this, to use us, to bring your light into this world, to be a city on a hill. And Lord, I think, I know I take it for granted. Sometimes I'm just embarrassed by the church. Sometimes I, I just want to sort of retreat in an individualized faith. But I, Lord, I pray that we will all be be, be awakened and that we would realize that that is not how you've designed this thing to be. That we need to do this together. Help us to be living stones that's part of a spiritual house that we will support others and be supported. And Lord, help us to live strange lives. To be generous and promiscuous with the right things, that we will fight our own comfort and, and live intentional lives in a, in a world that really needs it, Lord. And if that comes with suffering, if that comes with uh, sort of persecution, that we will remain steadfast because we follow the crucified Messiah, because we follow the rejected cornerstone. And Lord, for our community, and we pray for the church in Mamalodi and all churches you know, across the country, across the world, Lord, I pray that we will align collectively to you. Because many times we build, but, but you are not the builder. So I pray, Lord, that, that where we've done that, we repent. But in as much as we build as a community, we want to, we want to align ourselves to you. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. Amen.